Once in a while you pick up the latest journal. It doesn't happen that often, but your heart just sinks. And this was one of those weeks where I have told patients in the past with a patent foramen ovale and a cryptogenic stroke that they should not get closure of their patent foramen ovale. And I think that was indeed the standard of care. In fact, I've gone back to a few resources to make sure that was absolutely correct. And so I think that's probably what most colleagues were saying who had patients with a patent foramen ovale and a cryptogenic stroke. We weren't saying don't treat it at all. We were saying you must be on an antiplatelet or an anticoagulant therapy. So backing up before we get to these new studies, a foramen ovale, it's present to allow transfer of oxygen and placental blood in the fetal circulation. And then when you're born, it closes. So it doesn't close in every single person, and it takes a while sometimes, meaning it takes a few weeks of life for the patent foramen ovale to close. And when that foramen ovale does not close, which happens in about 25% to 30% of the population, then you have a patent foramen ovale. And if you're totally asymptomatic from that, and it just happens to be picked up, no big deal. We usually did not do anything about that. And that's actually still the case. I don't know of situations where we close patent foramen ovales if you're a totally asymptomatic person. Now, there have been times where this has been looked at, for instance, in migraine patients where they thought maybe there's an association between a PFO, and that's a patent foramen ovale, and a migraine. However, when they looked at closing the PFO, there didn't seem to be any benefit, and that was in randomized studies of PFO closure. But when it comes to cryptogenic stroke, the stakes are a lot higher, and so there were randomized trials that looked at that, and when they did randomized control trials of using a device for cryptogenic stroke and a PFO versus just doing medical therapy in the past, this week being different, but in the past, those trials did not show benefit, meaning it was okay to just do medical therapy. And that's really been my standard of care for the last few years. And then along comes the September 14th, 2017 New England Journal of Medicine, where they have three trials. And all three of them support the use of PFO closure to lower the rates of recurrent stroke. And the reason this is such a big deal and suddenly is giving all of us hospitalists and should be for neurologists as well and anybody that really deals with stroke, even a primary care that follows up with stroke, is that in the last five years in the New England Journal of Medicine, there were three other trials that showed the opposite. So maybe we need to get into that a little bit, but what I want to first do is step back. So when you're diagnosing a PFO, someone comes in with a stroke, if you order an echocardiogram, you can sometimes visualize an interatrial septum where there is shunting of blood across the foramen ovale, meaning it's a patent foramen ovale. And you find this by using agitated saline that you inject intravenously while you're doing the echocardiogram. 
Usually this is a transthoracic echo where you are injecting this agitated saline. But if you don't see it on a transthoracic echo, apparently you do have a better chance of catching it on a transesophageal echocardiogram. I don't think that was done too much in the last years because if we didn't see a pain in or foramen ovale, we weren't searching that hard for one in general. Now, I want to take a second to talk about cryptogenic stroke because what does that really mean? And we're talking about ischemic strokes here in which we don't have an obvious source as to what happened. So we're not seeing an arterial stenosis. We're not seeing atrial fibrillation or an obvious clot in the heart. But a lot of people don't like that term, cryptogenic stroke, and would basically like it to be just changed to an embolic stroke of undetermined source. Now really, if you have a stroke that's caused by a patent foramen ovale, then you actually have a source, if you think that's the cause. And sometimes it's really tough with these patients because they can have a patent foramen ovale as much as the population does, and you're not sure if it has much to do with the stroke, meaning maybe that person has paroxysmal atrial fibrillation and you just never caught it on telemetry the one to three days they were in the hospital with their stroke. So again, not everybody's in favor of using that term cryptogenic stroke. Another thing I want to define is something called atrial septal aneurysm. And basically, what is an atrial septal aneurysm? It's when you have redundant and mobile atrial septal tissue. So if you just discover this incidentally, we never really have treated it. But the thing is, if you have an atrial septal aneurysm and you have it at the same time as a PFO, there has been data that shows that this increases the risk of stroke compared with just having a PFO alone. I also want to make clear that you could have a stroke and find that someone has an atrial septal aneurysm without a PFO. And in that case, the recommendation has been to use antiplatelet agents. An option which I think is very rarely used and I have never seen, not in medical school, not in residency, not in being an attending physician for, I don't know, since 2002, is you could consider surgical excision of an atrial septal aneurysm and then close the PFO, but I really have not seen that. So I think you would consider that if you really couldn't use antiplatelet therapy or anticoagulation therapy and you were really worried this patient was at high risk of stroke from that issue. But again, you probably need some pretty good expertise at some other very high specialty center if you're going to go that route. Now, I want to reemphasize, and this is important, that if you have a patent foramen ovale, which about one-fourth of everybody listening to this, you know, the population has it, so a quarter of the population has it, but in general, it's really no big deal. If I found that I had one tomorrow, which I don't know why I would ever look, but if I found one, wouldn't do anything about it, including not going on antiplatelet agents. But at the same time, we've known that those who have had 
a cryptogenic stroke, and I will use that term, but you get that it's a bit controversial. But if you had a cryptogenic stroke, those people tend to have a patent form in ovale more prevalent than the general population. But as I said, while for a while we were closing them because we had three trials that said we didn't really need to, we weren't doing it. Now, how do you close a patent form in ovale, by the way? Do you have to crack the chest? No, of course not. So the way you do it is through a delivery device. So they go through the inferior vena cava and basically just get into the right atrium. And with that patent foramen ovale right there, they use this disc that's at the end of the delivery sheath. So they go up through the inferior vena cava into the right atrium and then go through the patent foramen ovale into the left atrium and then deploy this disc and they pull it up against the wall and then they take out the delivery sheath. It's not that simple, but you get the basic idea of how it's done. And there can be different ways in which it's done. And for instance, that may be part of why some of the results change with time. So the Amplatzer PFO occluder was just approved by the FDA in October of 2016. Well, anyway, the previous trials were done way before that. So for those who are keeping tabs of our three previous randomized trials that did not show any superiority of closing a PFO over just using medical therapy alone, those trials were, back in 2012, the Closure 1 trial, and then 2013, there was the PC trial and the RESPECT trial. So these were trials with basically negative findings. And then there were three trials, September 2017, published in New England Journal of Medicine, September 14th, that showed positive findings. So these were the GORE-REDUCE trial, the CLOSE trial, and the RESPECT extended follow-up. Now, the reason I say basically negative findings on the three earlier trials that did not show a lot of benefit is that now, when they write about it in this week's New England Journal, they say there were signals in two of these trials that suggested a potential benefit with PFO closure. So that's, I guess, in hindsight, looking through those glasses, a little bit easier to see now. Yeah, there are a lot of other factors we do need to take into consideration when talking about this. So I do want to talk about the trials a little bit more. I am running out of time. I have got to go get my kids from school, and I did a lot more background on PFOs than I thought I would get to in this lecture. So I'll tell you what, I will try and come back in the next week or two and we'll get a little bit more into this topic that I think ultimately will be practice changing for a certain subset of patients, if not a lot of patients with PFO after a stroke where we can't find another cause. And this is Dr. Gil Perot, and I will catch you on the next round.